Can you believe that we have completed season one of the Chasing Brighter podcast? Woot, woot. I can't. It, it's, uh, time flew by for sure, Jess. Yeah, yeah. Um, 61 episodes, I believe. 60 episodes. 60 episodes. It, it's been work. I'm not going to lie, yeah. uh, but it's been fun. Yeah, I it's, uh, you know, what do I want to say? Tested our relationship and how we work and each of us have a different work vibe. But I'm so excited to look back at season one and talk about some of our favorite episodes and some of our listeners favorite episodes. Yes. Kelly, we have to pick one book that we love from season one. That's so tough. But we have found it. Drum roll. Pause. What? Wait. Are we really? We're picking one book together? Yeah, The Good Life. I'm fine with that. Are you really? Yeah. Yeah. Because you know the other one I wondered about was The Gift of Fear. I didn't know if you wanted to kill me. I wonder if part of my personality type is um, <laughs> indecisiveness. <laughs> Um, I read The Gift of Fear a long time ago. Okay. Were there other, what would you, what were you going to say as your favorite book? I forgot what you said. I had a hard time. I don't really care. I'm really indifferent toward it because I loved all of them, but I think you're right. The Good Life. If you were going to say like that episode, How to Make Friends, and if you were going to say my clients and what, if, if, if my clients all did this one thing, what would completely change our life? It would be having a tribe and making friends. And I think that book highlights that. And so that's why I love that. I do talk about gift of fear a lot as well. But if you were just saying what one thing can make everybody be healthy and happy, it would be having friends. My clients I, would, have friends. I mean, we had some really great books, but I would say that... That book to me was the most surprising. It's brand new, fresh off the shelves. It's a little under the radar. Um, I don't think I fully knew what that book was going to contain. And I found it to have profound, a profound impact on me and just how there's this general feeling that everything is going to be okay for me and I'm going to live into a ripe old age. Right. And I don't know if this is totally inappropriate because I don't know if we can use the term slut anymore, but I think you and I are sluts for research and data. And that book yes. was full of some some numbers and we were like, yes, research. Like, I love something that's based on research. It was, it, and it wasn't like overly like data oriented either. It was very digestible. It wasn't overwhelming or it was like, you know, study bling, bling, bling. No, because it was, um, it gave anecdotal evidence, right? About people the, the actual writing their stories. Testimonies of people's like written responses was super awesome too. And it's just really cool when you can see a person who wrote something at like the age of whatever, 20 and then 40 and then 70. And they all are saying it's the same person. It, it was just kind of neat that they were actually able to track these people. I think also because we are data junkies, um, a lot of things we read, especially medical stuff, it's a very like discreet window of time and um you the next study is contradicting something else like this study was really really cool because it had spanned yeah, so many years. generations yeah. and it was such a great like way to turn in some ways qualitative information into quantitative insights that was like 
just, I feel like a benchmark for like a lot of medical studies in some way. I think that we talk about chasing brighter and what that means. And I think a lot of people are out there trying to chase joy and be joyful and be happy. And that does not mean that you've had a life free of trauma and free of difficulty. So if you read this book, like the people who are happy have healthy relationships. If you want to be happy, create, cultivate, and maintain healthy relationships. You cannot sit at home, work from home, talk to nobody, and be happy. It's not going to happen. And I think that it's just like if I were going to press upon anybody, and that's why I love this book, is it's like you need to have, we are social creatures. Mm -hmm. It does not mean you have to be an extrovert, but you need to have human connection and that ultimately, and they prove it in the book, benefits your overall physical and mental health. So yep. if you were like, Jessica, what's a pill I can take to be my healthiest and happiest? Get some friends. Go find a friend. That's what I'm saying. That's right. The, uh, that was really, um, there's a lot of feeling behind that, Jess. Get some friends, girl. Well, because that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I if, if you were going to say when I when I see people as a therapist, right, they're not feeling great. They're feeling dysfunction in their life and they're feeling unhappy. And, it, you know, that is something that is across the board. What my clients are struggling with a sense well, of community. It's so and healthy relationships because they're in unhealthy relationships. Right. It's true, too. And that like sometimes even you get down on yourself or you're not having the best of days or a phase of whatever and like the moment that you get time with a friend that you haven't seen in a long time it all of that goes away right and so it's important to maintain friendships yeah um along healthy healthy friendships that's right guess that's some boundaries so um yeah so um if you were like what one book jessica and kelly out of all of the books that you've read this year what one should i read and we're gonna say the good life good life yeah so check out this episode this encore performance of our book club the good life if i could not be stressed out in these moments i would be much more effective but if we can tie it all into the book Right. If we start talking about the book. Yeah. Let's start um, talking about the book. So they talk about facing the difficulties versus avoidance. Those who avoid difficulties versus facing them head on fare much worse. So everyone who faces up, like everyone faces obstacles, but those who have a support network or who are able to get through them. Uh, are able to get through them and know what to do. So it's all about a support network. And so when you want to minimize, avoid, or compartmentalize it, you're doing the opposite to help you. So it's like, instead of trying to do all these things to avoid your anxiety, they say, just face it and allow yourself to feel the feelings. Mm -hmm. And so one of the stories, and we can kind of get into the background of the study, but one of the stories I loved was the story of Abigail versus Lucia. So they both found a lump in their breasts. Abigail decided not to tell anybody and it wasn't a big deal and do anything about it and ignore it and put her head in the sand and Lucia immediately told her husband she called her adult children and she made a doctor's appointment and um, Abigail died and Lucia ended up getting treatment and surviving and it was it was breast cancer for both of them that's crazy yeah very crazy and so it's just like 
facing it and engaging your support system. So when you were just saying, I don't know, like it sounds like maybe your go-to is to not tell anybody and try to figure it out yourself. No, I call Brian and complain. Um, and yeah. so, I mean, Brian's been really great. I think the good part about this is I do have a good support system with Brian in particular um, getting through this. And he's so busy with work that he thinks a lot of this stuff is just like noise and not a big deal. And so I, that's what I need right now is that I need mm -hmm. somebody to be like, this is not a big deal. Our kitchen is going to get done when it gets done. And he was sort of like, you know, I would like it to get done sooner than later, but it is what it is. And it's very true at this point that, you know, it's not a big deal, but I just want it done. But I think that doesn't validate. So like if Wes comes home and is crying because he gets an F, you saying it's not a big deal doesn't make his feelings go away. Um, so I feel like the work, maybe I'm wrong. So my example right now of why I'm stressing, which is just the dumbest thing ever, is high school softball. So I've made a commitment starting yesterday to not talk about it. And... I talked to Jana, our Reiki healer, about it yesterday, not about softball, but that I call it like getting wrapped up in humanity. And I told her that I was really wrapped up in humanity and having a difficult time letting things go. And so that's my new thing. And so it's kind of like, instead of like, I guess, with the renovation, instead of like asking yourself uh, or telling yourself, I've got to get over this, this is dumb and stupid. It's kind of like, well, why is this triggering for me? Or why is this bothering me? And that's what I'm doing with softball. Like, why am I mm -hmm. so bothered? And why am I so triggered? And so for you, you're saying it's triggering helplessness, or like a lack of control. And so it's like, what's that about? And then how can I move toward acceptance and let it go? And it's like, for me, with the whole softball stuff, it's like, why am I so angry about it? Why? You know what I mean? And it's like, what's going on there? And how can I work through it and let it go? I visualized this morning that like emotional weight I feel with it and like the tightness in my chest, that anxiety, I know it's anxiety is it's like letting that go, you know? And so I just need to, I, I think for me with this is I would feel so much more freer without that emotional weight I'm giving it. Right. And so yeah. I'm trying to let that go. I think that's, you know, working with Janet, even on doing meditation, when you're in those moments where you just, I feel it lighter, right. You just feel like the, the weight goes away. And so I think today I did a lot of work on that. And even this conversation maybe will help, but I'm hoping by the end of the day, I will feel lighter yeah. about it. But it's a, it's a, it's a process. And she told me just by the way that, the energy is volatile and crazy right now. And that checks with my clients, with myself of just things being crazy. Also, and I, and I want to tap into the study for a second and then I want, I want to say something about, so basically the book that we read is about this study that originated in 1938. Okay. Um, it started uh, in Boston where two researchers chose 200 Harvard sophomore men who they thought were going to have a successful future. Um, at the same time, there was another study of a lawyer and a social worker where they cho chose 450 boys who were living in inner city Boston, kind of in the tenements of Boston, who were not delinquents. And they wanted to know what life factors prevent delinquency. 
So the studies began separately, but they joined very early on to become one study. It has maintained an 84% participation rate over 84 years, which is incredibly high for a longitudinal study. This is the longest longitudinal study in the history of the world and is continuing to go on. And they do, they are aware, the authors are aware that the original participants were all white men. Um, and so in order to try to make it more relevant to today and to everyone, they've cross-referenced other longitudinal studies and talk about them a lot mm -hmm. in the study on here was a study of women, here is a study of whatever, and also how the study has now become more, more diversified um, with uh, more genders, um, more race and ethnicities, um, and not just, you know, kind of heterosexual people, but, you know, um, trying to have more LGBTQIA plus people in the study. That's just kind of how it's naturally and organically progressed. So, so that's thing, fascinating. I totally agree. And I think the part, and I'll try to articulate this well, because I'm not good at this, but my, I, my intention is there, which is what I found to be so incredibly profound is we love to read books and we love to read stories about people. And a lot of the stories and books we read are all fictional. And this research is about like people's real lives. And like, I love an epic novel. I love a multi-generational novel and like, like the goldfinch. Yeah. And this, um, this study is like real life tracking of people's lives and like, what they went through when they were 14 and then they joined the military and then they got married and then they retired and then they had kids and their kids as struggles and their kids as lives and just every stage and just this sort of like culmination of every life stage and like where people are. And, you know, the thing I thought was fascinating is where you and I are and all the kind of tr troubles and challenges we have is like, midlife we're yeah on we're in midlife we're midlife. yeah we're right mm -hmm. we're on level <laughs> but i mean yeah it's like everyone's experiencing these trials and tribulations now in this midlife thing but it because was they, yeah i found it so in a lot of ways a lot of the stories were very emotional for me because i was like it just pulled at the heartstrings like you just hear about people's stories and to know that they were okay in the end everybody is okay no they the were end. not well some of them weren't okay. but some of them were most of them were it, it was like i don't i would say i th I would say it was pretty even on who was unhappy and who was happy and that's how that you could compare so you could hear this one person's life so they and and just to tell you what they did every two years they mailed a survey every five years they they got complete medical records and every 15 years they went and interviewed those the, the subjects and they were able to share the names and stories of some of the people so they would say this is the happiest person of the study and this is the unhappiest person of the study based on interviews and reporting and so i would so um you know if you were just going to totally summarize the entire study and just pull out right away a few sentences it would say the simplest way to sum up the 84-year study would be that good relationships make us healthier and happier people who are connected to family friends or neighbors are healthier and happier than their contemporaries who are less connected and more isolated than they want to be and so those help us have live shorter longer. lives. Yeah. Yep. And a study has yep. shown that one in four Americans identify as lonely and people who are isolated and lonely live a shorter life. People who are more socially connected are at less risk of dying any year of their life. So it's not an age thing. It's not like, oh, 84-year-old lonely people die. It's no, no, if you're lonely, you're more, if you're isolated, you're more at risk of dying, period. Any, any age.
So that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say why it, it makes a sense. Like they really get into attachment a lot in some of the stories. So the one mm-hmm. story of the guy who um, was very strange. He was living like on a trailer 200 miles away from his wife. He was married, but he said, he, and he, he, he was like very unhappy, but he reported being very close to his children and he did not want to get a divorce to hurt the children, but his children lived thousands of miles away. Um, he did not visit his children or see his children and um, had contact with like one person a day. And if you look at his history, um, when he was born, his nine-year-old sister helped deliver him. Shortly after his birth, the father put the mother in the sanitarium, very unclear why, in a sanitarium. And so the nine-year-old sister basically raised him as a baby. Mom came home, had a connection with the mom. Then the dad put the mom in the sanitarium again. And I don't know. And then the dad died. And while the mom was in the sanitarium for life. And so he was adopted out and lost contact with his sister, Rosemary, who he had the connection with and he bonded with his adopted mother but after that there was no connection so you can look at for him for safety and survival connection was not safe and so that was really sad Mm -hmm. that went through the rest of his life of not wanting you know of just not being able to be connected to people so um but then there's the terrible but then there's the flip side of the great stories right about Mm -hmm. um you know people who young men who grew up with you know the story of the guy whose dad walked out when he was young and um the mom and the siblings had to kind of make ends meet all everybody worked and contributed to the household um they sent him to school and then he eventually dropped out and just seemed like he had a rough rough going in the beginning and then joined the military became very effective didn't respond to the survey for many years because he was like traveling the world in a military post and left a you know led a very fulfilling life later in life um because he you know had the experiences he had and he had i think to your point about connection right he had his his sisters and um, his mother continue to be an important part of his life. And they, they even talked about the fact that he married later in life and how, you know, everybody in a lot of ways is on their own path and their own journey. And, you know, not everybody has to hit these certain milestones at certain parts in their life because every aspect of your development has to be fulfilled eventually. I thought that part was interesting. It was too. on time versus off time in the life yes. cycle. So he was off time. Yes. Yeah. And that that doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things, right? And then sometimes I feel like we get caught up with that as well, right? About you need to be married or on have kids time. or all those things on time instead of, you know, letting um letting it happen when it's ready. Yeah. And then there were people, I mean, there were people who did have a traumatic childhood. It wasn't like they were not connected to family necessarily, but were able to find connection with a life partner that helped them continue to be successful. Yeah. It was interesting to me, like they compared Leo and John. Leo was mm-hmm. the happiest person in the study. John was the unhappiest person in the study. So they both were Harvard graduates. Um, John and both kind of came from, from affluent families. They both served in the war while Leo was gone in the war. His father died and he always wanted to be a writer. And when he came home, the mother found out she had Parkinson's. So he had to give up his dream of being a writer, became a school teacher to help provide for all of his family. John came back, didn't want to join the family business, 
became a lawyer um, and was one of the most successful people in the study. And so what I found so fascinating was they asked people, they asked them, they said, a man feels good when blank. And John responded, he is able to respond to inner drives. And Leo responded, he senses that his family loves him despite everything. So what are your thoughts on that? That John, the unhappiest, most successful man in the story, said that a man feels good when he is able to respond to inner drives. What are your thoughts on that? It's it's sad, right? I mean, you... Um... I, I think it's unfortunate because um, it was very clear in the study that, you know, John was, uh, John wasn't happy. What I, what I also, just to follow up on that, what is the other thing that really grabbed me in this whole book is that like, you're seeing actual responses from these participants at different yeah. stages in their life. And these right. honest, true, like vulnerable right of um, what they're saying. And it's like written, right? It's not like, oh, everybody- They answered. were in cursive. They had to go back and like look over their handwritten and cursive responses. Everybody answered A on this response. It's like their actual, like what comes to mind, right? The fact that he basically was like, whatever I'm able to accomplish versus being surrounded by loved ones. Well, but I feel like it's like, that would make sense. You would think I'm unhappy. Let me do all of these things and achieve goals to make myself happy. Does that make sense? Like, I think from the outside, for a lot of people, that would make sense. Like, I'm unhappy, so I'm going to go do all these things. You have to do something. Yeah. Like your inner drive. Like, I'm following my inner drive to be happy. I think that sounds... Like an, a valid point. Right. But then Leo is like, he senses that his family loves him despite everything. So what I pull from that is he feels loved unconditionally. Yes, absolutely. I would say that John is probably not we're talking an achiever. That sounds so like an achiever, right? Oh, like you're sure. worthy based on accomplishment. And Leo is saying you're worthy based on um, being accepted by others. Anyways, I just thought I just really thought that was really fascinating because I do see um, in my practice a lot of people who are incredibly successful right? But struggling with fulfillment and happiness. And so it like just goes to show you it's, it's just, it's about connection, right? Leo didn't have money. Leo was a school teacher. And he continually um, said no to um, promotions, because he enjoyed being a school teacher. So there's well, no way it, he made a lot of money. It talk, They talked about the other study that they kind of linked to that, which was like what a 2010 study about like how much money. So the need for money and, yeah. and happiness and like what that threshold is. And they talked about like $75,000 a year for a household was like the number that, that once you had people that, people thought that if you had that, you'd be, once happy. you had that amount of money, largely you had everything you needed. Yeah. Um, and that, but people who even had less than that were happier, were happy, yeah. were per capita happier um, because money doesn't bring happiness, right? But hands down, when people say what would make you happy, people say money. Yes. All the time. And there is another study that a woman did um, on, I don't know if it was Asian refugees or immigrants, and it was um, 
people that were able to be successful and get through it and be happy were people that had one stable adult in their life. So they went back through and compared their study to that study and found that to be true that the people that were successful had one stable adult in their life. So mm-hmm. that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought it was fascinating. There was when you talk about the life cycle, they had a like, kind of a section about teenagers. And it said, uh, I don't know, I put in my notes, like the book also explores the importance of connection and role models for teenagers. Um, As you know, the original intent of a study was to see what prevented youth in low-income areas from being delinquent. And they found the connection with adults, their parents, and even siblings to be critical. The balance between allowing an adolescent to be independent, but also be there to support them was really pivotal. So that was interesting as I have a teen and preteen in my house, you know? I agree. Linking to that too, what I thought, what I loved was the section on social media. Yeah. And, you know, the title of it even was don't scroll engage and like really kind of using social media um, as a positive thing. Right. Mm -hmm. So it was talking about, when you are using social media, does it fill you with joy? Does it give you, does it energize you or does it deplete, deplete you? you? And mm-hmm. if it depletes you, it's not for good. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so it was about, it gave a lot of tips on what to do about social media. And um, I think that's helpful just with teens in particular, or like kids when we're working with them on social media and like social media isn't evil right um obviously we're recording a podcast so we like social media (laughs) but yeah um it's the fact that how you know using it for good right and that it's not going away anytime soon well i think that i think both parents both all ages need to notice how you feel when you're scrolling And I think we need to pay attention that research after research after research supports that social media can be positive if you are commenting, interacting. And if you are just looking, you feel worse after. And so if you're if you're engaging in it, cultivate it. And then, you know, it has positive benefits. But how does it negatively impact children during their formative years? And the research is unclear as to whether the social skills you develop online can compete with those you develop in person. Right. And so being in the same room as a person, they just talk about um, human touch and physical proximity have emotional, psychological and biological effects. Well, and they went through, you know, that link through COVID, right. They actually had grabbed some insights about during the shutdown and how um, just that people were like, what's the, skin hunger is yeah. that what it was yeah. you know where people just crave like just being touched by another person and just having that personal connection um was an important factor and i think i liked the tip so the book was full of a lot of great tips and i like the tip that that they said set aside distraction free time with your social relationships so maybe um what you can yes. do is they said just have phone free dinner or try to have a day where no one has their phones um, or look that that way you can have um, more at like an improved connection with the people in your life. Yes. You know, and I loved the other tip 
that said um, periodically, and they gave a chart, a, a blank chart to fill this out, but write the top 10 connections, like the people that you interact with the most, and then look at those relationships and explore, do these relationships energize me? And if those relationships energize you, how can you show appreciation to that person? Um, if it's not a very energizing interaction or relationship, can you make that relationship more energizing? Um, explore what to do with relationships that are energy depleting. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like cleaning house and it's like, hey, I notice I want every time I see this person, my emotions are depleted. Is there a way to make it more energizing? And if not, you know, what can you do? So I really liked that recommendation of consistently kind of reviewing your the energy of those relationships. There was an excerpt in the book I thought was really fascinating and um, related to that, which is it talked about the present moment is large and spacious if we allow it to be. Even when it contains sad and scary experiences, this moment includes so much more than the content of our minds. The sense of being truly alive comes with giving our attention only to what is happening right in front of us. To grab hold of sensations, the feelings of our bodies, the things we see and hear, the presence of the people who are with us and using them to make a hard left out of thinking about other things and places and to emerge from the tunnel of our own minds into the vastness of the present, the only place anything or anyone really exists. Yeah. They talk a lot about John Kabat-Zinn mm-hmm, and he's yeah. the one that kind of brought mindfulness um, to the States and his quote, do you remember that? Like his quote was in our, the book that we read self-compassion, like instead of trying to surf. control the waves, yeah. learn how to serve. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is, I think really profound for me and my, challenges well i think what it reminds me of um is we get when i say loss in humanity i am so wrapped up in my own shit and you're so wrapped up in your own shit then how can you be present for the people in your life and so you know we lost um our friend mary um teresa who was on the podcast unfortunately her sister mary passed away a few weeks ago Um, mary was really just an incredible um just incredible human um only uh 52 years old and i'm going to her memorial it was like insane so she is she was a crusader um one of her sons was bullied and um no one was responding appropriately and mary became a huge advocate and she is um, not solely, but one of the people responsible for Haley's law here in Nevada, where we have bullying laws and procedures and systems set up now for CCSD because of Mary's advocacy work. Um, Mary literally, they told a story where she literally gave her jacket to someone who was homeless and cold. And she literally just took up her jacket and was like, I could buy a new one and gave it to her. And, and, you know, Mary was just like so giving and so wonderful. Mm -hmm. And it's like, where was I? in Mary's last few Mm. moments, where was I the last six months, the last year of Mary's life wrapped up in my own shit. 
you know, and it's just like, okay, I have these people in my life who do energize me, but am I showing appreciation for them? Am I engaging with them? Am I scheduling time with them? You know, they talk about change your schedule to spend more time with relationships. Yes. Because yes. people at the end of their life wish they would have spent more time with their loved ones. And so to me, the death of my friend, our friend, um, has made me realize like, WTF am I doing with my time? Like what is happening? So it's like for you with the kitchen, I mean, you know what I mean? It's like if one of your friends dies tomorrow and you spent your day like looking at countertops, I mean, you know what I mean? It's just yeah, like, yeah. you're like, what the hell, you know? And so it's like, how can you be more present in the moment trying to purposely be with your loved ones and spend time with those who energize you? Yeah, I, I love that. And, you know, when I was reading that, you know, part of the book, I thought about how I really have tried to make, make 2023, um, a year of connection. And I've reached out to, from, from a work perspective, former colleagues, and maybe we can use this as a segue into the work, work environment topics too, with work relationships. But, you know, I work, um, aside from, you know, our chasing brighter, um, efforts, my, other company, I work independently a lot and I work on teams, but I don't have like, I work remotely. I don't have people every day. And so I was really feeling that loneliness. Mm -hmm. And so I really tried to reach out to former colleagues and I've had a fantastic time just reconnecting with people. It's never too late to reconnect yeah. with people. And, yeah. um, you know, in the book, when it talked about the different tiers of, of friendships, right? Like intimate friendships, um, people you call to cry on their shoulder, um, close friends, um, that you, you know, you enjoy sharing laughs with and, and have common interests and then your casual friends and just thinking through those for myself and really trying to reconnect with, you know, people who I worked very closely with and I just lost, lost touch with, which has been really, uh, fun and it energizes me. It energizes me because I think what it also makes me realize is you, I have a lot in common with, with other people too. It just feels, it feels good when you, it's part of that, like fighting the loneliest thing where you feel, you know, that, um, you're not alone Yeah, and, and other people are in the same boat as you, even though you don't see them or talk to them every day. It was fascinating. Again, I don't know if they just made up a case study or I don't know if they made that up. It was actual case study of that woman that was at work. You know what I'm talking about? The woman that was, there was a woman and she was at work and she was just dumped on all the time with work mm -hmm, and her boss mm -hmm. would cut it early and she stayed over, mm -hmm. over two to three hours every day just to get stuff done. She would come home and they would already have eaten dinner and she loved cooking but never had a chance to cook dinner with anybody. And she came to work one day and she heard this guy who had a cubby next to hers who she didn't really um ever talked to kept sighing and she was like what's going on he was like it was in a car accident and my car doesn't work now and it's gonna be way too much to fix it kind of drives and my roommates give me a ride but i don't know what to do and she was like oh my gosh my husband's a mechanic bring it over and like we can do it super cheap for you like we'll totally take care of it and then they started talking he was 15 years younger than her and she thought they had nothing in common and she started talking about how slow this program was at work and he was like oh let me fix it and he ended up saving her 
hours and then she ended up leaving work early that day and then they got to talking about ways that they could improve efficiency at work and it was just like making that one connection mm-hmm. oh and then he brought her home brought her fresh sourdough bread the next day and she was like i didn't know he was a baker and just the one connection how it improved her quality of life had her leave work early set better boundaries be home for her family more and so it's just like looking at that um and and you're right it's just like with so many people working remote now you're not you're not going to get those daily interactions and so then you're going to have to create them yes yeah you know i we did over COVID. i had a group of colleagues that we had a weekly talk to talk about case studies and stuff and I, it wasn't just necessarily because of COVID, but it happened during COVID. and i really missed that and i wish we could all get back together we all have very different schedules right now so it's difficult to make work um but i love that like i'm going to you mentioned alpha stem we didn't really talk too much about alpha stem but basically alpha stem is a device um that uh you can you can get from a, a provider in the states and it helps reduce anxiety insomnia and depression um if you clip up to it it's cranial electrotherapeutic stimulation and so um i am actually going to an alpha stem lunch on friday and that is how i connect and i am really excited about it um and they're they're not very often maybe we'll have more but like that's a way to connect by going to a business dinner one time ended up making friends with three people who are my friends now so you know um we may not feel like going to those things but if you're a solopreneur um, you know, putting yourself out there sometimes does help create connections and like those connections are important. For instance, anytime I need help trying to find a referral, I reach out to those three people and they always have really incredible referrals for me. Jess, I've done the same thing. I attended a webinar back in February on a software application that I work with called HubSpot. And it was, I'm a partner, but I'm one person. And I joined it because I was like, I was slow and I've just got to do this. And they put us in a breakout group during this webinar. And it was, we just had to like go around and kind of do a roundtable intros. And it was all women who were entrepreneurs. And most of us were just one woman shows, but we were really interested in this technology and getting involved in it. And it was so random. And so, and we we're all at different stages, but, um, we are we're a tribe now and we meet once a week once a month um to kind of connect and share ideas and talk about what we're trying to do and where we're going and really kind of be each other's support um so yeah i agree and it's one of those where you put yourself out there and you never know what you know what what is in store and sometimes it's a sometimes it's a bust but sometimes it's not and you're getting something out of it and it's but there is something from that all connections have benefits and so they had a study of people where they were like okay you're going to go ride the train you know people commute on the train and they're like yes. you said if people talk to a stranger you said if people don't talk to a stranger and none of them wanted to talk to a stranger and the people who talked to a stranger reported a better mood than those that didn't so even if you don't come away with a long-term connection just interacting with others has benefits yeah that was on the l it was the university of chicago study yeah um yeah and it made me think about um, riding on an airplane, right? I used to yeah. travel a lot by myself and just, you strike up a conversation with somebody and you just kind of keep. I still don't want to talk to somebody on the airplane. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's nice. I still don't want to talk to somebody on an airplane. <laughs> I bet you like, have. What would, feel, what would enter? Oh, I have. Oh, I have. Yeah. But it's like, what would, I would say I'm probably part of the study and I'm wrong, but it'd be like, what would energize me more? It'd be like, oh my gosh, reading a book or streaming a show. Cause I'm never alone. 
<laughs> and uh but but you're right it probably would report a better mood um but that also reminds me of the book that we did for our book club in january on how to be well and the importance of yes and it totally lines up like all of these like the bible buddhism all of these ancient religions Mm -hmm. have quotes about the important of the whole person and the whole being and the important of connection for our well-being and remember some of this report they're getting they're getting medical records Right. And so John, who was really successful, um, had a slew of medical and health issues. So that's so fascinating, like isolation, loneliness, poor health. That's just fascinating. So I know we're coming up at a wrap up. I wanted to talk about a couple more things. One is the it talks through the wiser model, which is a model of reacting to emotionally challenging situations and relationships, relationship events. And it and I think we'll talk through this more in the blog post and really go through the diagram. But I wanted to talk about it because yesterday I my anxiety has been high. And so I'm not the best parent. And I was making dinner and Wes, my oldest, had disappeared and he's been coming into my office watching TV, whatever, doing stuff on his own when he isn't. I, I've asked him to do something else. And so I was making dinner and I looked down the hallway because I live in the basement and I went and I saw that my office door was closed and I assumed it was Wes. And so I yelled, Wes, turn the TV off and get out of my office. And he, I could almost cry for like such an asshole. He, opened the door to the laundry room and he was doing he was doing the laundry i mean he was doing dishes yeah sorry we're gonna have to redo that no we don't you can be vulnerable you can be so i felt like such a jerk he's never washed the dishes (laughs) he's never and so i was like he was like so mad at me and I was like, I'm sorry, this is unexpected behavior. I didn't know you were going to be washing the dishes. But like, I obviously need to use the wiser model because I was, was mad like, at you. Oh, yeah. I seriously hurt his feelings. I think he thought he was doing something nice. And here I'm like screaming down his throat. Right, right. Um, I My uh, preteen 12-year-old doesn't like me right now. Just so you know, Kelly, part of that is just... Not that he did anything, but like, like I was helping with this ancient China report and I was reading the rubric and he was just like yelling at me that I don't understand. I don't understand. I don't understand. And he printed a picture and it had buildings in it. And I was like, it shows you're supposed to be doing ancient China. And there's (laughs) skyscraper in this diorama picture. And he was like, oh, okay. Well, mom, do you think I can go on Google and find a photo from ancient China? Do you think they had photos back then, mom? (laughs) And I'm like, well, do you think we could like, whatever it would be like, you just understand. You don't understand. You don't understand. You don't understand. And then Justin walks in the door and Justin's like, hey, there's like, I read all the things and it says ancient China. Um, So why don't you just like kind of color in those buildings? That's a great idea, dad. I'm going to do that. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? And then I was like, Tom, do you think you could like help with the unload the dishwasher? You know, it's just like, he's just giving it to me, giving it to me, giving it to me. That's how Wes is eating my soul right now. It's also like you, you dump on me emotionally all the time. I think, you know, the important thing is then like, like, okay, so wiser is watch, interpret, select, engage, reflect. So reflect, right? So you watched, you interpreted wrong. 
you selected the, the wrong thing and you engaged, but it's like reflect and be like, oh my gosh, you know what, Wes, I am so sorry. Uh, you know, I think it's important to show vulnerability to kids and that is supported. And even they talk about this here, those who are vulnerable with other connections, right? There's more intimacy. So to be like, I am really stressed about you know, I'm really stressed about the remodel. And I, you know, when I get stressed, sometimes I have a shorter fuse. And um, I appreciate you so much. Thank Mm -hmm. you so much, you know, giving him a hug, physical touch, and just kind of moving on. You know what I mean? But it's I did that. Yeah. Okay. And he's holding a grudge. (laughs) He's still pissed off at me for something else. And then like, he went to bed. And then I was like, Hey, buddy. Because like, I'm assuming, again, I thought 12 year olds like shake it off, right? So he's like all the time pouting in bed. And I was like, hey, buddy. I I do it all the time. And it's funny that you're saying that. Is everything else okay? Like, is there anything else going on? And he was like, no, it's just you. (laughs) It's your face (laughs) and your whole being. I hate you. (laughs) So then I was like, like okay. Um, I'll go back to Becca. Yeah. At least Becca loves me. Right I now. know. Well, I think it's her age because it's like Gabby's past that. And then I was just the other day, Justin and I were having a discussion and it was like something stupid, like our opinion on something. And Dominic was just like, I agree with dad. He's so team dad right now. And he was like, everything dad is saying makes sense. <laughs> it's like, you know what I mean? It was like dad. And so I was like the other day, I was like, he's so team dad that if I were going to say anything, not even like negatively about their dad, but let's be like, oh, you know what? He probably got out late or whatever. And he'd be like, dad wouldn't be late. Dad, you know, and I'm like, okay, okay, yes, I know you love dad right now. Got it. Um, but we all make mistakes. Again, I just think it's like looking back when we were kids, um, what our father have said, I am really sorry about that. Here's what's going on with me, and I'm going to try to improve. Yeah, no, yeah. No. And so that's what I go no, back that's to. That's true. And, um, I also think just to go through the other two tips I liked, yeah. keep a gratitude journal about your partner. Yes, love that. Um, yeah. When you and your partner and what they call the stuckness, which throughout the life cycle, you get in this thing called, they were calling like the stuckness, um, is that you can step out of those yep, routines and relationships. Routine. So do mm-hmm. shake, shake it up, um, plan something different with your partner. And then finally, just like establishing, I found the research on this fascinating, establish regular family dinners. Children who have a regular family dinner have a higher have higher self-esteem better grades lower drug and alcohol use and a reduction in teen pregnancy that's crazy that's fascinating yes totally fascinating that's a very interesting fact yes yes and so it's like and i don't think it doesn't say nightly it didn't say nightly it says regular family dinners if you can invite other generations of families other you know people who are older that could you know have another thing so the the closer you are to end of life, the less you give a shit, right? About these tiny things like you're talking about you. That's why grandparents are more relaxed about the kids because you're not sweating the small stuff yep. because you're realizing your life is coming to an end and you're trying to be more mindful and be more in the present. And so to have that influence over your kids, if it's an older neighbor, older grandparents, aunts and uncles, na- you know, whatever, um, having that influence on your children is really, really impactful. Yeah, I mean, there's a whole section right on family matters. Um, it goes a lot deeper. Also, we talk about just intimate relationships, like your relationship with your partner and how how it navigates. And it was just fascinating, even how that relationship evolves and changes with people over their lifespan. That was yeah. pretty cool. And I would say my only complaint against this book, and it's my complaint in all the free search is when they talk about family matters, there's no tips for people who um, because they talk a lot about 
how important it is to salvage family relationships and to not sweat the small stuff. But there are times, right, where we cannot have a relationship with our family. There can be drug abuse, alcohol abuse. Let's say you were abused, molested. You know, there are family members that we can no longer for for us. We cannot be healthy and happy Mm -hmm. with our family and our life. So I would have liked more tips on how to create a family of choice. I would have liked to hear more about that. So if they could, you know, add a new new chapter and just, um, you know, talk about how to cultivate a family of choice, I would have really appreciated that. That's that's an interesting interesting perspective you know it talked about you know in closing they you know for basic education we talk about the three r's of reading writing and arithmetic and um you know it suggested right that there really should be the four r's and adding relationships um as the the fourth r um because it talked about you know early education is meant to prepare students for life and they believe that you know relationships are just as important um, as the other items and how identifying and expressing emotion is critical in connection. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. If you want to know more about this book as well, um, Kelly found that the author, Robert Waldinger has a really great Ted talk. Um, we'll have the link in the show notes. We'll have the link on the blog post, but you can check that out too, um, to get more of an idea of their research as well. Yeah. And there's also the adult development study.org. And we'll definitely put all this as well in our blog post, um, which is the more detailed, um, analysis on the study. Thanks for listening and joining us today. And don't forget to follow us on social media at Chasing Brighter or on our blog, ChasingBrighter.com.